You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Indeed, it's great. Wonderful to invite new folks to be a part of our faith family. I also want to reiterate my gratefulness for those who contributed to the mission auction over a week ago. We raised, last count, over $50,000 to go to our mission partners. Yeah, indeed. Blows me away. It's just fantastic uh, to see the energy and enthusiasm and the generosity of this congregation to make a difference here in Roswell and really around the world. Well, last week on Wednesday, I had a great conversation for our Closing the Distance feature with Reverend Brad Clayton. It was really fun to catch up with him. If you, might be, if you missed it or might be interested, you can find it on our website. It's a great conversation. And this Wednesday, I'm going to talk with Mary Cox. Now, she's been retired for a year and a half, but it doesn't mean she hasn't been busy. She's been very busy, and I'm looking forward to catching up with her, hearing how God continues to work in her life. So if you want to, you can tune in on Facebook Live, or also there's a link in my weekly update. Well, today we continue our sermon series on the book of Revelation, Our Song Shall Rise. Now, as I lay out sermon series, usually... Usually I have a fairly good idea when I come to read a scripture passage and prepare for that Sunday sermon what I'm going to say or what the major theme or point is. Well, that has not been the case with Revelation. In fact, I have no idea what I am doing. And so if you feel like that, you're in good company as well. Um, We're going to look today at Revelation 7. But Revelation 7 is really a response to Revelation 6, and so we'll cover that as well. But let us now open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to listen for the word of the Lord from Revelation 7, verses 9 through 12. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you by your spirit might speak a word only you can speak. Lord, these passages from Revelation are often obscure, unusual, unfamiliar. And so we ask that you might illuminate them, that they might speak to us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Over the past year, I have read more memoirs and biographies than I ever have in my life. 
And I did it unconsciously. It just kind of happened this way. Books that had been sitting on my bookshelf for years, looking uninteresting and unentertaining, all of a sudden had like flashing lights. They were saying, read me, read me. And I could not stop. The 900-page, eight-point font biography of Frederick Douglass, can't wait to dive in. The biography of the less-than-saint founder of Rolling Stone, Jan Winner. Let's get it started. Shoe Dog, the story of the creator of Phil Knight, the, the creator of Nike. Oh, I love sneakers. Let's get into this. Even Mar Mariah Carey's memoir, The Meaning of Mariah. Sign me up. Julian Van Winkle's story of saving Pappy Van Winkle bourbon. I haven't even been allowed to try this stuff. I'm in. Why did these stories appeal to me so much this past year? And as I've been thinking about it, I think it's because my mind, my life seemed to be consumed with thoughts and anxieties and fears of COVID-19, the pandemic. Do I not wear a mask or do I wear a mask? Do I sanitize my groceries or do I not sanitize them? Everything seemed to be riddled with anxiety and fear and stress and I needed an escape. I needed to look at the world in a different reality than my own. I needed to understand my life from a different perspective to see my present moment in a unique way. Those memoirs, those biographies offered me just that. And in many ways, I think the book of Revelation functioned like those memoirs and those biographies. Revelation functioned like that for its original audience. It gave people a unique perspective on their present reality. At a time of great persecution, it offered them hope. At a time of anxiety, it offered them peace. When all the headlines seemed to be bad, Revelation offered a word of good news. Remember the opening chapter of Revelation? It lays out who the author is, John. It gives us his situation, his context. He's in prison on an island called Patmos. He's been put there as punishment for preaching the gospel. The Roman Empire does not like competitors or rivals to its authority. And so he was suffering horrible persecution. And his readers, his audience, would have been suffering the same kind of persecution. And he writes the book of Revelation, this vision that he has to give his audience a new perspective on their present reality. The Roman Empire is powerful, but it's not more powerful than God. Persecution is painful, but you are not alone. You may be bound in chains now, but the chimes of freedom can be heard in the distance. Now, the book of Revelation is nothing if it is not a poem. And the writer John is this great theologian, poet, and Revelation is his great text. 
It's meant to communicate a reality that is not readily apparent to the naked eye. It's meant to wake us up to hope. It's a poem of hope. It's a theological vision to offer us a new perspective on a present reality. In 1973, the great poet W.H. Auden described the two features he thought that determined a good poem. He says this, two things. Firstly, it must be a well-made verbal object that, that does honor to the language in which it is written. Secondly, it must say something significant about a reality common to us all, but perceived from a unique perspective. It must say something significant about a reality common to us all, but perceived from a unique perspective. And revelation is nothing if it is, does not offer us a unique perspective. In fact, up until this moment, revelation has been always a little too unique for me. But I'm kind of getting into the flow of it now. See, Revelation 1 starts off with this great introduction about who John is. It has this great depiction of the victorious Christ. Revelation 2 and 3 includes letters and recommendations to the seven churches. And then last week we looked at chapter 4 and chapter 5. It kind of gave us a window into if we put Jesus Christ and worship of him as the soundtrack of our lives, how it can reorient our entire life. So far, so good. This has been a fairly rosy picture of the world. Now we skip chapter 6 and chapter 7. It gives us this great universal message of salvation. Listen to this. After this, I looked... And there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God. And you know that if there's salvation there has to be something you're being saved from. Remember, Re Revelation is a unique genre that was quite prevalent in the first century. It's an apocalyptic. Apocalyptic letters are written to people in difficult and challenging circumstances. You write an apocalyptic if you want to wake people up to hope, if you don't want other people to see the clear meaning of your message, you kind of hide it in there. So you have to search for it. It helps your audience see the light at the end of a dark, long tunnel. It's meant to give a new perspective on your current circumstances. I believe Revelation is not just meant for the first century, but it offers us a message as well. So what do we need to be saved from? So far up to this point, we've had a fairly triumphant look at the book of Genesis and our world. But in chapter 6, John offers a different vision. 
For the first time in Revelation, John begins to wrestle with the reality of evil. Evil has been let loose in the world. My sister-in-law asked me what I was preaching on this Sunday, and I said, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The look on her face. (laughs) This is the symbol for the culmination of all that is evil, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Revelation 6.1 begins, and there are seven seals that are opened, and in the first four, there are horses with riders that emerge. Then I saw the lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures call out as with a voice of thunder, come. I looked, and there was a white horse. Its rider had a bow, a crown was given to it, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Here we have not the image of sweet, sensitive Jesus, but we have the vision of kind of a warrior conquering Christ. He sits on a white horse. He has a bow in his hand and a crown on his head. We have this image of Jesus the Christ coming to do battle and to conquer the forces of evil in this world. Probably at least in my lifetime, the most famous time this passage is mentioned comes in the Johnny Cash song, When the Man Comes Around. The song begins with Johnny reading his version of chapter 6, verse 1. He says, And I heard in his deep baritone voice, as it were, a, a noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse. It's interesting that Johnny Cash, this is one of the last songs he ever wrote, said it came to him after he'd had a dream about meeting Queen Elizabeth II. And he's coming to the end of his life and he's beginning to think about what it might mean to meet his maker. What might it mean when Jesus comes around? And in my favorite verse, he begins to reflect on the end of time. He says, till Armageddon, no salam, no shalom. That's Arabic and Hebrew for peace. Till Armageddon, no slum, no shalom, no peace. Then the father hen will call his chickens home. This is a reference to Jesus' words in Matthew. The wise men will bow down before the throne. This is a reference to the wise men who bring frankincense and myrrh to the baby Jesus. And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crowns when the man comes around. If you're not familiar with the song, treat yourself this afternoon and go listen to it. Hear about what happens when the man comes around. There is a battle and Jesus has come to conquer. But what has he come to conquer? John of Patmos writes this book of Revelation. And he actually borrows some themes from the Old Testament prophets. From here it's Ezekiel and Zechariah. 
to reflect on the next three horsemen of the apocalypse. With the opening of the next three seals, we'll, we will see three kinds of evil that afflict all of creation. And we'll see the one, the rider who is on the white horse comes to defeat. The second seal in verse three. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature call out, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another. And he was given a great sword. The rider is on a red horse and takes peace, P-E-A-C-E, from the earth. The second horseman of the apocalypse is the horseman of war. He is symbolized with red to symbolize the blood that has flown down through the centuries of human history. Do you know there's about 3,400 years of recorded human history and only about 268 of those years were there no wars? That's about 8% of human history. In the 20th century, 108 million people died because of war. Now, according to just war principles, war is permissible, but only as a necessity. And there are several other principles that go along with it. Why? Because war does horrible things to people, to creation. We are not created to be at war. Yes, sometimes it be, must be made necessary, but we are made for peace. The physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual damage that is done through war to individuals and societies. We are not meant for. The human being is not created to be at war. But the red rider has been let loose in the world. And Jesus has come as the prince of peace to conquer war, to bring to quote the band Wilco, a war on war. <laughs> a war on war to bring peace. The rider on the white horse has come to defeat the rider on the red. The third seal, verse five, when he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature call out, come. I looked and there was a black horse. It held, its rider held a pair of scales on its hand and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart for a wheat for a day's pay and three quarts of barley for a day's pay, but do not da damage the olive oil and the wine. What in the world is he talking about there? The rider of the black horse symbolizes famine. You see, at the time, Rome had incredible resources, incredible wealth, yet people were starving in their society and their culture. And the black rider has scales in his hands, and we hear the phrase, a quart of wheat for a day's pay and three quarts of barley for a day's pay. A quart of wheat is starvation's rations. And they're being sold for a day's pay. An exorbitant price, extremely costly. But then it says, but do not damage the olive oil and the wine. 
In other words, what is necessary for minimal living is overpriced and scarce, but the luxuries of life are in abundance. Look at these people living in opulence while there are people dying of starvation and famine. And this has to be a warning to those of us who live in affluence. We consider the fact that there is enough food for everyone on earth to be fed, yet we cannot find a will or a way to figure it out. People still struggle with famine and hunger. And so Jesus commands us to pray. Pray for your daily bread. Give to those in need. Take care of the vulnerable. What we did at the auction over a week ago was exactly that. How do we battle that black horse of famine in our society, in our communities? How do we come together to pool our resources to make a difference and to meet needs? We are at war with famine. Go along with that rider on the white horse. And finally, the fourth seal. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature call out, Come. I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed with him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, famine, and pestilence, and by the wild animals of the earth. The pale green horse symbolizes the sickness that leads to death. Sword, famine, pestilence, even the wild animals bring death with them, and this rider comes to devastate human beings and creation itself. And for a minute there, death appears to be the reigning power in the world. Everything must die. But then the writer of Revelation sees great hope with the writer on that first horse. In Jesus Christ, we find a God who raises Jesus from the dead. We find a source of life that triumphs over death itself. If you live long enough, you will begin to consider that death is the reigning power in the world. At this point, I was going to tell you a, a great story about the rapper DMX. <laughs> but life, or shall I say death, has a way of interfering with our plans. Just yesterday, as some of you may know, my wife and I woke up and our beloved dog, Percy, we found had died in the night in our bedroom. It was quite a shock to us. And I'd never really heard of a dog dying in its sleep and so I didn't know what to do. So I called our vet. The receptionist answered the phone. I described to her the situation, I said, I've never really heard of this happening before. Happening before, I don't know what to do. And she said, actually, it's more common than you'd think. And then she began to cry. She said her cat had died while eating in front of her. 
And so there we were, a mess on the phone. Wondering, does death have the final word? Is it the power over all powers in this world? I remember lifting Percy up and carrying her body down the stairs. Is this it? Is this the power? It's more powerful than all other powers. Now I knew I had a wedding to officiate in the afternoon and I knew I had to preach here this morning so I didn't have time to get in my feelings. <laughs> but I did have the thought, I need to get to church to hear about life triumphing over death, a power that is greater than death, that that rider on the white horse comes to defeat famine, pestilence, war, and death itself, that in Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, we have God's light, God's love, and God's life shining into our present moment. And so when we read in Revelation 7, salvation belongs to our God, God's peace, God's love, and the power of God's life shines in on our lives. And we can wrestle. We can wrestle with the warriors and the riders of famine, and war, and pestilence, and yes, death itself, knowing that we side with that first rider. And I challenge especially our seniors, as some of you go off to, to new careers, some of you go off to colleges, to make a decision which side you will be on. Do you f follow in the steps of that first rider to do battle? To do battle for the sake of life, and love, and peace, and taking care of the most vulnerable. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have triumphed over even death itself in Jesus Christ. We pray that as we confront the powers and principalities of our world, that we might have your faith, your light, your hope, your love, and your life shine on us. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.